welcome to season four of the Louisiana Law Review's Legalese podcast. I am your new host, Catherine Briley, online editor here at the Louisiana Law Review. Uh, and, you know, thank you for tuning in today. We've got a great show. And uh, I think, though, that the best way to start off, and, and really the most respectful way, is um, with a goodbye to Willie Walsh and Joe slash Taylor Cooper. We miss you here at the Paula Maver Law Center. And um, much like Hogwarts, we hope that the both of you know that the Legalese podcast will always be here to welcome you home. Moving forward into the future and away from the past, the great Swedish rock band ABBA once said, take a chance on me. And as I was thinking, you know, what would be a good opening episode of The Legalese? That idea of chance came to mind. Because, you know, you, the listeners, are taking a chance on me. I'm taking a chance on this entire podcasting thing. Uh, So why not focus on chance and gambling? And uh, that led me to the idea of sports betting. Following the Supreme Court's decision this May in Murphy versus the NCAA, uh, states are now free to legalize sports gambling schemes. Uh, And so to discuss this really sea change in the law, uh, I brought in Paul West, an attorney at Baker Donaldson here in Baton Rouge, and a professor of gaming law here at the Paul Mayberry Law Center. Um, It led to a really interesting conversation, not just about sports betting, but also about Um, kind of the progression of gaming law here in Louisiana overall. Um, There was a lot about boats, which was um, unexpected but not unwelcome. Uh, And then following that interview, uh, I spoke with the new captain of Volume 79 of the Louisiana Law Review, Milton J. Hernandez IV, uh, affectionately known as MJ or Chief around here, um, to talk about what to expect the goals of the Louisiana Law Review um, for Volume 79 and and into the future. I hope that y'all enjoy uh, this episode and and come back the next time the Louisiana Law Review rolls around with a new episode of the Legalese Podcast. Here we go. All right, the Legalese is happy to welcome today uh, Mr. Paul West. Uh, an attorney at Baker Donaldson and someone who teaches gaming law here at the uh, Paul and Mayberry Law Center. Mr. West, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, well, it certainly is an interesting topic. Um, ever since the Supreme Court's decision last May, uh, I feel like sports betting has really been um, been in the news. And whenever an ESPN notification pops up about a Supreme Court decision, I get excited because maybe my family will actually want to talk about what I'm learning about here in law school. And I guess the place to start is to talk about the law that was overturned, uh, PASPA, the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. Right. And like you said, it's a very, very hot topic. We get two or three, four different clipping services come across our computers every day. And now 90% of the articles that we get are sports betting. Who's got it? Who's teaming up with who? How are they going to do it? Are they going to do it with mobile apps? Are they going to do it straight up? Um, what, what states are looking at it, what states have, um, have actually passed it. And of course, this weekend was opening weekend of the mm-hmm. NFL. So there's all the buzz coming out of Biloxi, um, New Jersey, 
Um, like you said, it's just just a very very uh, hot topic in, in the uh, gambling and sports arena. Um, the 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 PASPA case, what we used to refer to as Christie Three, which now is Wagner Murphy. Murphy. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, some people misunderstand exactly what it did. It did not legalize sports betting. Right. It it struck down a federal ban against sports betting. Mm-hmm. Prior to um, this being struck down, what PASPA uh, said was there were, I believe it was four states that could have uh, sports betting. Nevada, Delaware, Montana, Montana, and um, New Jersey. And New Jersey's was caught up in a, in a situation where their law, which, which PASPA recognized, said if they pass it within six months or nine months, mm-hmm. they can have it. Right. New Jersey missed that opportunity. And then when Christie became governor, they came back and tried to, uh, tried to pass it. And it was stuck, struck down twice. And then in Christie three, um, the law was upheld. So, but the, the Montana and Delaware were strictly um, lottery-tied sports mm-hmm. betting. It wasn't Las Vegas where you could walk up, walk up to a window and bet LSU Money. plus plus ten and a half right. against Auburn this weekend. Um, so that's that's what Passport did. It just, uh, I mean, Christie three did it. Punted the uh, the topic back to the states mm-hmm. and just told the states if you want it, have it. Legalize it, regulate it, tax it, do with it what you will. Um, you know, a lot of us likened it to if you passed a law that said you can only buy cigarettes in Nevada. Right. That would have been a very difficult position to hold. But just like smoking and alcohol, mm-hmm. they have said the states can now legalize it. They can they can uh, tax it. They can regulate it. Right. So essentially, because the law was passed in 1992. What you're saying is that if a state had a pre-existing gambling scheme and that they were regulating it, you know, well, then they had that one year to sort of opt out of PASPA's regulations. There were four mentioned four. by name. Right. Um, and you have to remember, 1992, the only places in the nation to gamble were New Jersey and Nevada. Right, Atlantic City and Las Vegas. Right. And so, essentially what happened was that Murphy v- versus the NCAA decided on anti- anti-commandeering grounds, right? Right, right. Okay. Essentially saying that the federal law overstepped. Right. Um, because not only could states not pass regulations that would legalize sports betting, but New Jersey argued that the law didn't even allow it to repeal um, bans that it had set on itself. Yeah, that, that was the end result. Right. And you have to remember, uh, back back at that time, since there was only two states that had gambling, gambling was 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 frowned upon. Gambling mm-hmm. was an unknown sin. It was you know it was something we kept you know, vice. way far right. away, and as the Louisiana Constitution says, it's it's something that needs to be suppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, UEGO, which was a uh, Unlawful Internet Gaming Act was passed about that about that time. Congress just went on a roll to try to limit as much as they could right. the proliferation of gambling, and then of course shortly thereafter, the riverboats started up in the in mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the uh, Middle America and Iowa and in Illinois and came down to Louisiana and uh, Mississippi and 
you know, that now you have some form of gambling in every state of the nation except for Utah and uh, Hawaii. Right. Uh, and I feel like Louisiana, it certainly did take workarounds to get to that point. Isn't that correct, that we had to amend the state constitution to allow for any type of gambling? Well, interestingly, they passed video poker, the land-based casino, and riverboats without a constitutional amendment. Okay. They had a constitutional amendment for lottery. Oh. But if you go back and you read the history, and, and one of the best books that I've, I've read about the history is Tyler Bridges' Bad Bet on the Bayou. Mm -hmm. And he goes back and goes through how they got it passed and, and the actual locking of the voting machines as soon as they hit that number so nobody could change your vote to get the land-based casino passed. And, you know, some of the shenanigans you hear about in the, uh, in the state capitol. In 1996, some four or five years later, Mike, when Mike Foster was the governor, Governor Foster thought it was um, bad procedure to have gambling in your parish if you didn't have a, a chance to vote for it. Okay. So he passed an amendment or, or, or uh, passed a, a law calling for a referendum uh, to amend the Constitution to say that any new form of gambling mm -hmm. now has to be passed by a parish by parish referendum. He went so far as to um, state that if a riverboat changes its berth, even, even if one of these boats downtown moved a half a mile up the river, mm -hmm. the parish of East Baton Rouge would have to have an election to, uh, to allow that. And it's, it's in uh, Article 8, Section 6 of the Constitution. So any new type of of uh, gambling has to be approved by a statewide referendum, and any moving of a riverboat when they when they built La Baton Rouge here, right. they had to have a parish election. Although we had two riverboats downtown, the constitution still required an election. Wow. So, and that in it that in and of itself is something because I recall reading that at one point the riverboat casinos even had to be like at sale, essentially, oh, yes. right? They couldn't even be, you know, berthed and docked or, or near the land. The, 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 the fiction, the fable that they passed this thing on was this, this tourism idea. Mm -hmm. and if you go look at the preamble to the Riverboat Gaming Act, um, the Riverboat Economic Development Gaming right. Act, as Chairman Jones will always remind you, <laughs> the purpose of it is economic development. It's to provide jobs and, 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 and investment in infrastructure into the state. But if you look at the preamble, it talks about the tourism industry. Right. And and they painted this picture of these boats plying the Mississippi River with women in big hoop skirts and mm -hmm. guys in vests with the top hats. Very Mark Twain. Yes, yeah. And so you take the whole family out for a cruise on the river and if you know if dad wants to go play the slot machines for fifteen or twenty minutes, that's just a byproduct of, of what we're doing here. Right. Well that fiction fell apart. As, as soon as the gavel hit the, hit the desk and the, and the law passed. Sure. So they were required to cruise. Initially, they were supposed to cruise for three hours mm -hmm. and be at, at dock for 30 minutes where there could be no gambling, let people get off and get back on, and then go back out and you could gamble again when they get back out. That became something that the boats did not want to do. Mm -hmm. um, there was a provision in the law that said if the captain of the boat thinks it's unsafe to cruise, he doesn't have to cruise and you can gamble dockside. Right. 
Well, that created captains who thought the, um, you know, the, the, the wind was too choppy, the power lines were too low, the lights reflecting off the water were blinding him, crab traps were in his way, so. Anything, really. Some of these boats didn't sail for months at a time, mm -hmm. to the point that the, uh, the, the district's attorney and, and several parishes got involved with it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that was kind of the fiction they sold. Mm -hmm. But now, the, the boats can be docked, <laughs> they can be a little bit inland. Um, Since 2002, I think it was, mm -hmm. they, they got rid of the, the uh, cruiser. Okay. Um, shortly before that, I think the name of the ship was the Brightfield that lost its rudder coming under the Mississippi River Bridge in New Orleans yeah. and smashed into the river walk 45 yards away from the uh, Hilton Flamingo Queen that was full of people gambling. Mm -hmm. um, they saw the safety problems. Uh, as, as, as Billy Tozan once said when he was a congressman, he said, who, who came up with the idea of taking, the, uh, taking a boat, filling it full of intoxicated gamblers and pushing it out into the most dangerous waterway in North America? Very true. <laughs> so at that time, they said, not only do you not have to cruise, they in their law said you cannot cruise. Okay. So since 2002, the boats have been dockside. So just sort of a slow progression right. away from, I guess, idealism, you'd say, and into reality of, of what is going on. And then this past session, they, they uh, passed a, a statute that now allows them to come off the river completely, okay. as long as they're within 1,250 feet of their birthing site. So for instance, the boat downtown Baton Rouge in Catfish Town, mm -hmm. they can get rid of that boat and have their casino in the atrium next to the hotel. So it's literally just moving, <laughs> crawling up onto shore slowly exactly, but surely. Exactly. Getting, getting into the, not even the 21st century, getting into the 20th century right. in, in the year 2018. Louisiana's always been quite, quite slow to, to slow follow. to evolve, follow sure. Um, but yeah, no. I will say that the tourism thing I found to be a reality. I was working this summer in Texas, and every time I would say I was from Louisiana, they would say, oh, I'd like to go to Shreveport. And I'd say, oh, Shreveport, why? And they'd say, oh, they have a very nice casino in Shreveport. So right. uh, the tourism aspect might be very real. It, it, that, it is very real because mm -hmm. of the, the slot machines and the table games, not because of cruising up and down the Red River. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that's right on the money. Uh, so turning back to sports betting itself, I mean, this really is, like you said, a hot topic. Uh, ESPN currently has a, a page where it's just tracking all of the bills moving through various state legislatures. Um, and following the Supreme Court's ruling, right now we are looking at uh, five states that have passed sports betting legislation and are all set, Nevada, New Jersey, West Virginia, Delaware, and Mississippi. Correct. Mississippi being the only one really in, in the sort of south, the entire Gulf Coast that's passed anything, um, with Pennsylvania, New York, and Rhode Island sort of on track to move forward. Right. Uh, now, Louisiana wrote a bill this session of the legislature that did not pass. Right. Um, that was Senate Bill 266. That is correct. And so, can do you know anything sort of about, you know, why the bill failed, what the bill would have done? Uh, it was uh, Senator Dan, Danny Martini's bill, and, and I think Senator Martini, rightfully so, just wanted to bring us along with the rest of the nation. Um, he saw a great source of, of revenue, not only for the state, but uh, increased tourism and, and things such as that. If you imagine Final Four 
or the Super Bowl at the Land Base Casino in downtown New Orleans, it would be crazy. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you probably know people who um, either go to Las Vegas for the Final Four for the Super Bowl or, or for you know these, these fantasy sports. They actually go out there and have their draft party out there. Right. Well, instead of going to Las Vegas, people could come to downtown New Orleans, which mm -hmm. would be a national. Um, and, and so Senator Martini saw the, um, the benefit of that and proposed the bill. Um, the bill got beat pretty severely. Um, and it, there was a number of reasons. There were counting duplicate bills and so oftentimes they will file one bill in the House and another bill in the, in the mm -hmm. Senate saying the same thing. But counting all of those, I think Tyler Bridges came up with 31 gambling bills uh, this past session. Mm -hmm. We haven't had many, if any, gambling bills through, you know, Foster, Blanco didn't have any, Jimmy didn't have any, because they all said, if you pass one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veto it. So right. why would a, a, a legislator would who's, yeah, who's on, the, on the fence, why mm -hmm. would he stick his neck out knowing that they can say he voted for it? Thank God the, the governor um, vetoed it. So there were a number of, of gambling bills in the legislature this session, and the representatives and the senators just, I think, really got gambling fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, the the, the uh, landside bill that we were discussing for the riverboats was proposed by a task force that had governor's reps on it, the attorney general, state police, the gaming control board, the treasurer, um, everybody was supportive of it. Um, had one of the most popular senators, Senator Ronnie Johns from uh, Lake Charles, as the author and the proponent of the bill, it passed by one vote. So, and that was a, 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 a bill that was practically unopposed except for maybe the religious right. Right. So that gave you an idea of the headwinds people were looking at. Mm -hmm. So when, when Senator Martini's bill came up, um, he had a headwind against it to begin with. And then at the last minute, Video Poker tried to jump on the bill oh. and, and amend it so that you could bet in every truck stop in the state. Well, oh. there was no way in the world that bill was going to no. get out. Um, allowing video poker to, to have that much proliferation of sports betting. So it just died, and then, you know, well, you had the Harris um, land-based extension bill, which created, you know, got a lot of attention. Right. And then all that clamor, I think Dan, uh, Senator Martini just took it down. Wow. Uh, he was not happy about it, and if you've seen some of his comments um, since then on the floor, mm -hmm. you can tell that he, he thinks Louisiana lost a, a huge opportunity. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about this, this sort of idea of realism versus idealism. I mean, one would have to think that sports betting is already a reality in back rooms. Uh, you have to be very naive if you don't think, like you said before we went on the air, you don't think there was a lot of money laid on the LSU-Miami game a few weeks ago. Um, obviously, there's a lot of money bet on the, on the Saints. There's, a, there's an article in the paper this morning that of this regional regional bias and, and how the Gulf Coast and Mississippi just cleaned up this weekend because everybody who went over there mostly were betting on the Saints, mm -hmm. not on the Bucks, and they all lost. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, there's a there is a lot of illegal behind the scenes sports book going on, whether it's at the fraternity house or the barber shop or the restaurant or you know, I, I know for a fact I can call a buddy of mine, he can get a bet down in 10 minutes, you know, the bookies are, bookies are out there. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, 
uh, an industry that, that I know the American Gaming Association used that, uh, the fact that it exists, and they had numbers of what, how much money was spent illegally and what the taxation would mean. Mm -hmm. And they also went further, and I don't know how accurate this is or what they had to back it up, of where that money goes and does it go into organized crime, does it you know, right. go into other nefarious activities. Mm -hmm. And that, but that was certainly one of the uh, support positions of the American Gaming Association of why we should legalize uh, sports sports betting. Yeah, it was interesting to me because um, I will admit that I am I am an innocent child who has never actually you know placed <clears throat> such a bet. Uh, but I was talking to a friend of mine um, and talking about you know this recording that we we're doing today. And his immediate response was, oh, sure, you can always just bet through the Cayman Islands. I was like... Well, you can do that. Yeah, it's, that sounds... It's, it's, it's a crime right. in the state of Louisiana. Yes, of course. Um, betting by internet, gambling on the internet is an actual... Title VI is the criminal code mm -hmm. still. That's a, it's an actual misdemeanor. But you can do it. Um, the uh, the UEGA bill that I've talked about recent, uh, previously... What, what they did is they just took all the payment providers out. You mm -hmm. can't put up your credit card anymore. You can't attach it to your bank account. You've got to send them certified funds and they put it on. But there's no regulation. If you win, you know, if you win $500,000 and you go to cash out and the, and, the, and the screen goes dark, you know, who do you call? Your True. local representative say, I made an illegal offshore bet. <laughs> so, yeah, it is, it is the illegal sports betting is, is everywhere. Um, I don't think that the legalization of it will get rid of it. it. You know, it's often sometimes easier to pick up your cell phone and make a bet with your bookie instead of getting in your car and driving to the casino and buying your ticket. Then you got to go back and cash your ticket right. and, and all of that. But um, and it's certainly a, a a reason that the American Gaming Association was so much uh, in support of legalizing sports betting was to, to try to cut into the illegal mm. portion of it. Yeah, the idea of taking it, you know, out of the shadows into the light, and all of that good regulate stuff. Regulate it and tax it. Absolutely. Just, just like everything else. Let's be honest, right now, Louisiana could probably use some extra funds. Well, and yeah, that was obviously part of Senator Martini's uh, uh, push, and, and that's when he got on the Senate floor and, and he, he kind of gave his, his fellow senators an earful about leaving that kind of money. He said, well, on the floor, while we're over here in special session after special session, you know, trying to cut back, back on health care or, or, or raise taxes or do something. You know, I brought you 35, 40 million bucks and y'all just snub your nose at me. That's true. <laughs> That's definitely true. I will say that um, I recently read Ross Dellinger, who used to write for The Advocate and now uh, writes for Sports Illustrated, did an entire piece about uh, the first weekend of college football and the advent of sports betting in Mississippi and just talking about um, the crowds and sort of the preparation that Mississippi put in to, mm -hmm. to really get this scheme going. Yeah, and, and the other thing, it, it will be interesting to watch, and this doesn't really have much to do with the legality of sports betting, mm -hmm. but I'm curious to see what the line on the Saints will be further in the, in the season, versus, in, in Biloxi versus Mississippi, I mean, versus uh, Labatt. Yeah. I know for a fact, friends of mine that have told me mm -hmm. that the line here on LSU, you know, a bookie can get away with only giving you eight points when you can get 10 in Las Vegas, but you can't go to Las Vegas. They can shave two points off, but they know you're going to bet on LSU anyway. That's true. They're, 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 you know, you're willing to, to, to take the two points just so you can bet on LSU. So the regional bias is out there. It'll be interesting to see if 
if say MGM has one line in Mississippi for it mm -hmm. and a different line in, in Nevada. It'll be it'll be an interesting exercise. That's true. Well, a lot of movement uh, will be made, and we'll just we'll just keep track and see see what the data shows. Absolutely. Um, do you think that there's any chance that you know with a little bit of time maybe the gambling fatigue would pass? I, I would hope that they would pass it next year. Mm -hmm. um, I would hope that they would see what's going on next door, what's going on in New Jersey and 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 what's Pennsylvania, New York, and these other states. I mean, every major casino company is up and ready to go. They they have all um, either taken in house or, or or teamed up with a sports betting uh, Aurora Hills mm -hmm. type company to book. Um, and so it the the industry wants to do it. I think it would be exciting, and I would I would be hopeful that the uh, Legislature will take a fresh look at it, but again, you just you don't know what's going to happen up there. The political headwinds for river, riverboat casinos are very strong indeed. Right, right. right. You know, hopefully, as you said, Louisiana does um, jump on this bandwagon. What I found interesting is that I recently saw an article on ESPN that discussed um, the minority leader, Senator Schumer from New York, uh, who was talking about setting federal standards for um, for you know sports betting uh, now that PASPA was declared right. illegal, and it seemed like they had that has the support of a lot of the institutions, the NCAA, MLB, PGA, etc., uh, the NFL, obviously. And so I, I was wondering if you know from your perspective, do you think that? Having that system would make more sense as opposed to having 50 different, you know, states potentially with 50 different standards for sports betting. Again, personally, I'm, I'm very much of a states' rights person, right. so uh, just from that standpoint, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the federal government ever touches much that they approve. Yeah. Um, and to overlay another set of regulations on top of this, uh, I understand where the, the uh, leagues are coming from, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I I am hopeful that the that the federal government will just stay out of it because if they're going to regulate it, guess what else they're going to do right behind it? They're going to tax it. That's true. Um, but speaking of taxes, one of the one of the other, I mean, there's there really is so much here, and and just the the idea of this happening is you know fascinating. And one of the things that came up pretty much immediately after the Supreme Court was the league sort of changing their tune and then approaching states saying, well, if you're going to do this, you know, pay us what they would call a, an integrity right, fee right. or something along those lines. Can you kind of explain what an integrity fee would be? I'm not sure I completely understand right. the, the league's position. Um, the league thinks, and, I, and I, I think along with a lot of people, I think the, the league's idea of how much money this is going to create is a little inflated. Mm -hmm. um, it, I think it's going to be much like casino gaming. It'll rise up and then it'll level off and then the novelty will wear off and they'll start to, to, to drop down. Mm -hmm. And so um, it seemed, it, when I read it, it seemed to me like it was really the leaks just trying to, to get a cut out of this. Um, but I think the posture is that, you know, for them to maintain the integrity of the game, you know, give us a cut of the money and then we can pay for services to regulate and to make sure that you know, the games aren't being inflated and that players are getting cut and all this other stuff. Um, it, it does feel like a brave new world and, and hopefully Louisiana does get on board because I think it'd be a, a very interesting uh, economic opportunity for us. And it, it, it would be. Um, 
how much it would be. I think Senator Martini had some uh, some projections. Um, it's not a huge amount of money when you're you know going into a 700 800 million dollar hole. Mm -hmm. This isn't going to fill a big part of it. But the other thing to keep in mind is we talked about this the statewide referendum. If they were to pass this bill next session and Governor Edwards were to sign it, say June of next year, mm -hmm. the election. Well, there you can follow a parallel track right now because they passed the fantasy sports bill. Right. And so the fantasy sports bill was signed and, and was passed in say May. Governor Edwards signed it in June. The election would be in November. Mm -hmm. Then they have to do the regs, and then it'll go online. You know, or, or not not internet online, but it'll become active if sure. if they allow it internet online. Um, maybe sometime in the spring of mm -hmm. twenty. 19. So if they pass this sports betting bill in the 19th session, mm -hmm. it, you know, it, it, we won't have sports betting under any circumstance before 2020. Right. So we will lose this season and next season of the NFL. Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, I guess that the hope would be that should things fail, the advent of data on maybe the fantasy sports betting law, mm -hmm. um, which would be things like FanDuel, FanKings, Correct. those sort of things. DraftKings. Um, DraftKings, thank you. Uh, and, you know, maybe the data coming from states like Mississippi and mm -hmm. these other states that have sort of, you know, jumped on this this opportunity, maybe would, would push us in the right direction. One, one would hope. One would hope. One would hope, but you never know. I spent more time up, up at this legislature this session than I ever have, and it just amazes to me what motivates people to vote certain ways. And a lot of it has nothing to do with, what, with what's written in the bill. Right. It's, you know, other other considerations mm -hmm. that they're looking at. The other interesting aspect of both this and fantasy sports is it's parents by, by parents. It's like video mm -hmm. poker. West Baton Rouge has video poker. East Baton Rouge does not. So you could find a situation where you could play fantasy sports in East Baton Rouge Parish, but you can't play it in West Baton Rouge Parish. Now, how they enforce that, how they do the uh, geographical screening if it's online, um, a lot of questions. But the same thing as sports betting. But you know, I, I would imagine if you go look at the, uh, the, the state map of the yes parishes and the no parishes and, and video poker, that would give you a pretty good idea of where, where sports betting would be headed. And basically, as long as Calcasieu, Bossier, um, the Shreveport area, Lake Charles area, mm -hmm. Baton Rouge, and New Orleans, Pass it, then that you know that's where the majority of your brick and mortar casinos are. Right, brick and mortar and water. Right, as it turns right. out. I mean, I guess that is that is the truth. You know, even getting through the major hurdle that is the Baton Rouge state legislature, you're still looking at going parish by parish and seeing right. who votes yes, who votes no. And then um, in each one of those parishes, who's going to spend money uh, to support it? Who's going to spend money to defeat it? Um, you know, there are industries, if, if, for instance, video poker is not in the bill and they can't have video, have sports betting, obviously they will see this as competition to their video poker industry. Right. They may get involved with strange bedfellows, the religious right, and, the, you know, the gamblers and the religious right get together and try to kill, kill the vote. That's true. Man. Well, I guess the final question would have to be, uh, if you had to bet on it, do you see Louisiana getting uh, legalized sports betting within the next, we'll say, five yeah, I years? I was going to ask you, what, what, what's the line, I'll say what's five the line years. on that? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, 
you know, I would think so. Mm -hmm. I would think so. It, um, the problem is you've got a, a, a 2019 is an election year. Legislators get very skittish during election years. And, you know, there, there are some people that, you know, in, in the, the swath that runs up through Alexandria and up until Monroe, I mean, what motivates a legislator to stick his neck out for sports betting when there won't be any sports betting in this parish? There won't be people coming to, to Monroe mm -hmm. and bringing all their buddies to spend money in the restaurants and the hotels. So why does he stick his neck out on something like that? Mm -hmm. um, I, I just, I couldn't begin to hazard a guess as to whether he, if it, if Senator Martini would get it through or even if he's got, you know, he may have fatigue and not even want to try to get it. But some, mm -hmm. somebody will push it. Mm -hmm. There's just, uh, one, you know, a coalition of the casino companies, Caesars and Boyd and and, and Penn, who's now coming into the state buying the Pinnacle property, and Alvarado, who will have three casinos here not in, in short order, um, they'll be pushing it. All right. Well, thank you very much for stopping in. I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you very much. All right, so it's new season here at the Louisiana Law Review Legalese podcast, and to kick things off, we thought we'd talk to our chief, our uh, our ship's captain here uh, for Volume 79, MJ Hernandez. Uh, so how you doing, MJ? I'm doing great, Catherine. I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Happy to step off the ship and come and record for a little bit. Awesome. We're always happy to see you and happy to hear you here at the Legalese Podcast. All right, MJ. So let's start with a little bit about you, where you're from, uh, what brought you to LSU Law School, and... You know, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm from Mandeville, Louisiana, um, born and raised there. Uh, and then I came to LSU for undergrad. I majored in political science here. And, you know, I loved LSU too much. I couldn't leave. I had to come to LSU Law School. And, and you know, I want to stay in Louisiana. I love Louisiana. So it was, you know, it was destiny for me to come to this law school. Yeah, I always say that um, I, I also came to LSU for undergrad. And I just really wanted to see us beat Alabama. Still hasn't happened yet, but I have one more shot this year, and hopefully Joe Burrow can do it for us. Uh, but all right, so so what made you want to uh, go for Louisiana Law Review and then uh, your editor in chief position? Well, I think the first question, as a one L, you know, I mean, I think every student uh, really aspires in at least some capacity to want to be on their school's law review, and I think I was the same in that regard. I wanted to challenge myself and challenge my skills and really try and better my research, my writing, and, and really participate in the legal scholarship aspect of being in law school. So that's why I wrote on to the law review and, and was very excited to get to participate as a junior associate. At the end of my time, I realized that, you know, there were a lot of great people around me. Uh, all of the junior associates were really awesome. And I was looking, I wanted to work with them more and more in-depthly and to help other students coming through behind us uh, really get to participate in it the same way that I felt uh, going through. Um, and I thought that the editor-in-chief position, you know, because I just, whether I loved every position possible or was afraid that I wouldn't be able to do every position uh, well enough, I, I thought that the editor-in-chief position was a good slot for me. Um, and, you know, I asked uh, by applying and, and, and wanting to get in in that way. And and thankfully, I'm here. I'm very humbled to be here. Um, I'm very happy to get to continue to work with uh, this board and with all the senior associates and the new junior associates. 
um, it's going to be a great year and I'm happy to be here. Yeah. We had orientation for the uh, new junior associates the other day. And really, when I was hearing you talk about the position and how you feel about it, it made me think of that whole, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, but, you know, better that than a master of one. So way to go, MJ. Uh, all right. And so, you know, what do you think makes the Louisiana Law Review unique? Um, what do you love about it? There are many things that make it unique, and I'll start with sort of the big ones at the forefront. I, the, law, the Louisiana Law Review is one of the only journals in the entire country that is that focuses so much on different areas of the law. You know, we have this spin of civilian and Louisiana law, which is so different from anything else. You know, we, we take that under our wing and that's our baby, but we focus on other things as well. We focus on um, uh, international stuff, national stuff, common law stuff, um, a lot of different areas of the law that we're able to explore with the papers that we publish. Um, so we're not stuck solely in the civilian world. You know, we acknowledge that we need to be masters of as much as we can here. Um, and that's really what makes us great and unique. Um, other things is that I've come to learn by talking to other editors in editor in chief, editors in chief, editors in chief, I think is, is editors in chief. Yeah. Yes. There we go. There we go. Uh, talking to other law review boards about, uh, how they run in their systems. And we, we publish a lot of issues. We publish four issues every year per volume. Um, we have a large board. Uh, not every law review has this large of a board. We have 13 members on our board. And that allows for a lot of specialization. It allows for a lot of things like the legalese. It allows for our symposium to really get uh, a lot of uh, momentum and a lot of power behind it. Mm -hmm. um, and it allows for our senior editors to really spend a lot of time with their junior associates as well. Um, I think that's another thing that makes us unique. We want to involve a lot of people in the law review and not to say that, you know, we're, we're lessening our standards in any way by involving more people. We're, we're bringing the brightest minds at the law school together in order to create a really, really strong product. And that's something that's really exciting and really good. Right. Let students get their boots on the ground and really let them pursue their interests. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The junior associates each, I mean, we, we we tell them, you know, maybe, you know, if you can, if you, if it's interesting to you, try a civilian topic, try a Louisiana okay. topic for your paper. Um, but we don't shy away from publishing papers that ha don't even mention Louisiana in them. Sure. Um, and I think that that's such a beautiful thing here yeah. that we're able to let them sort of explore whatever they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Keeping it well-rounded. Very uh, well-rounded. So, uh, so as we look forward, I think you're in an interesting position because it's a new school year here at LSU Law. Uh, but, you know, you, uh, Brad, who is our managing editor here at the Louisiana Law Review, um, and, and really the entire editorial board, what issue are you sort of working on right now? We're already in the production process pretty far in. So even though this is sort of a forward-looking um, piece that we're doing right here, I feel like you're sort of already in the midst of your duties. Yes, I remember in last Last April, mm -hmm. uh, when we were all announced as the board, and really, that was really when we got to, Brad and I really got to work. Uh, we sat down and we said, you know, we we really have to start working now. And we were dishing out assignments left and right, and thankfully the board was ready to go. Right. Um, but we've been working since April on all of our issues. Um, issue one is very far along in production. Mm -hmm. We're now at the point where we're rounding off our edits and, and getting ready to send them back to their respective authors mm -hmm. uh, for another round of edits. Issue two is right in the middle of the process. Um, we're, we're sort of 
in the middle of sending them back to their authors for their original edits or their first edits. Uh, and issue three has already started as well. We're, we're about to begin site checks on issue three. Uh, the junior associates are going to get an assignment very soon uh, where they'll need to scour the library for <laughs> citations and sources. Um, and it's, it's a machine, but it's a machine that, that operates, I mean, on all cylinders at all times. Every issue has something going on, and we have a mastermind behind the wheel in Brad. He, I do not understand how he does it, but he keeps track of everything. I have, I share an office with Brad, and I've asked him to show me his calendar several times, and it makes no sense. There are a lot of different colors. There are a lot of, I think some of the things move. I think it's sort of like the staircases in Harry Potter. It's just constantly shifting. Um, but I always think of you and Brad, you're such a dynamic duo, you know, you're like a much more intelligent and, uh, competent Michael and Dwight from the office. That's what we're shooting for. Yeah. We're, we're really trying to emulate it. Right. You're, you're hitting, you're hitting it very well right now. Um, all right. Well, so, you know, last question, MJ, what are you looking forward to most this year for the Louisiana Law Review Volume 79? I'm looking most forward to carrying on the the tradition of the Law Review, because it is a tradition. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, I mean, we are not paid. We're not employees of the Law Review of this journal. You know, we are doing this uh, out of a desire to improve ourselves and our university and our journal. Um, I'm looking forward to carrying forward that tradition with everyone else on the board, with the other senior associates, with the junior associates, and also, you know, putting our own spin on this experience. I mean, being on a law review is possibly the most defining sort of aspect of one's law school career, uh, or it can be. And, And we want to give everyone on the Law Review that experience, that positive experience, and and to have a really, really good time doing it. And it's a lot of work. It's hard work, and everyone knows it, and everyone's got to put their head down and get to work at one point or another. But we want this to be really a family that is involved, and we all got each other's backs in the throughout these various stages of the process. You know, Teddy Roosevelt once said, the best thing that life has to offer is to work hard at work worth doing. So, uh... Thank you, MJ. I know that the Louisiana Law Review is going to do excellently with you at the helm, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to come talk to our listeners. No problem, Catherine. I look forward to every episode of The Legalese. I'm very excited for what you're going to do this year. All right, well, that'll about wrap it up for this inaugural episode of Season 4 of The Legalese Podcast. Uh, thank you to... Uh, Mr. Paul West and MJ Hernandez for stopping by and chatting with me today. And my final thanks go out to the one and only Professor Wendell Holmes and his family band for providing the, uh, the music for today's episode and this season's music for the Legalese podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and go Tigers.